Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Palladino, and before we get into the show, I wanted to explain a little bit about why it may sound a little different than typical episodes. This is a recording of an Instagram Live that we did in response to a New York Times article regarding tongue tie treatment. The article featured my colleague, Dr. Scott Siegel. Dr. Siegel's practice and the practice of IBCLCs was not fairly represented. In this live, we delve into why Dr. Siegel agreed to open his office to reporters, how he feels about how his practice was portrayed, and what he shared with the reporters that wasn't included in their story. During the episode, I also read my official response to the article. Also during the show, you'll hear me reading live comments and questions for those who were responding while we were on live. It's a bit different than we usually do, and I appreciate your patience with that. Thanks so much for listening and for being a part of the Tongue Tie Experts community. You're listening to the Tongue Tie Experts podcast, a weekly program providing information and support for those families impacted by tongue and lip tie and the professionals caring for them. I'm Lisa Palladino, a midwife and a lactation consultant with over 30 years of experience. If you are a parent looking for answers or a professional who is curious to learn more than what you learned in school on this topic, welcome. This podcast is for you. A gentle disclaimer, please do not consider anything discussed on this podcast by myself or any guest of the podcast to be medical advice. The information is provided for educational purposes only and does not take the place of your own medical or lactation provider. Thank you. Welcome everyone. Lisa here for a very special tongue tie experts event. Um, I, for those who don't know me, I typically go live every Tuesday, usually in the afternoon. Um, but this week, it's been a pretty exciting week. So we decided to make this a little bit later, have a special guest. And many of you are joining us for the first time. So many new followers. So many people have been upset or <laughs> um, excited or just um, wondering about the... How, how do I uh, classify it? The article that was, I'll just call it an article in the, tongue, in the New York Times about tongue tie treatment. And um, we're going to talk all about that today. We're going to tell the side of the story that wasn't told. We'll be able to take your questions. And um, the reason that I'm doing this mainly is because, well, number one, I'm scared. I'm afraid that people will neglect to get the treatment they need based on 
the one-sided portrayal from this article. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. Um, and also because I have a feeling Dr. Siegel said a lot more. And Melanie, who's also the IBCLC in the, in the um, article, had a lot more to say. Even Kathy Watson-Jenna, who's, you know, you've seen on my platform before, probably said more than what was included in the article. And it sounds pretty scary for parents and for other providers. So as a responsible person who calls her, you know, my, my platform tongue-tie experts, I felt compelled to speak out on this topic. Dr. Siegel is going to join us in a moment. Um, I just wanted to take a minute and read to you my response to the article that I will be sending to the um, New York Times, okay? Because it kind of uh, consolidates what, I, what I'm thinking. It took me a while to get this um, written right and not sound angry. And um, I'd love to know everybody's opinion on it. And if you want to add to it, feel free to. Once again, thank you so much for being here. And this um, reading of my response will give you a little bit of background of who I am if you haven't already met me. So um, as the face behind the popular Tongue Tie Experts social media platform and the Tongue Tie Experts podcast, I feel compelled to respond to the latest article about tongue tie treatment from the New York Times. I am a certified nurse midwife, lactation consultant, registered nurse, and published author who has over 35 years of experience in the healthcare system. I am upset by the tone of this article, but also encouraged by the conversations it is creating. We need to have these important discussions. First, you may wonder why I have a social media presence as a healthcare provider. Why are so many families turning to social media for their medical needs? In my experience, they are looking for help because they aren't getting it from the doctors and nurses who they are seeing in real life. Sad, but true. My social media popularity grew totally accidentally. Trust me, I never intended any of it. It has just evolved. Let's talk about social media advice. It comes in all shapes and sizes. Some of us are experienced. Some are pretenders. Uh, some of us give some, <clears throat> sorry, some are pretenders. Some of us give real support and education. Others, well, not so much. The point is that many women want to breastfeed and they aren't finding the right support when things don't go smoothly from their doctors. And my resource list, my resources fill a void. My inbox is filled with messages of gratitude from parents who have learned from my content. Women who want, women want to breastfeed for a myriad of reasons. Most are not choosing breastfeeding because of pressuring by lactation consultants as implied in the article. It is a biologic norm to feed our infants at the breast and it should be a social norm, but we are far from that. The influence of the marketing of breast milk substitutes, which is a World Health Organization term, not my own, is too great and is reliant on the so-called mommy wars perpetuated in said article and in the comments that followed. But I digress. 
Breastfeeding is not just about nutrition and nurturing. Feeding comfortably and efficiently at the breast is imperative for optimum development of the muscles and bony structures of the head, face, and neck. But let's get back to my profession, in this case, lactation consultants. An international board certified lactation consultant is the title that is the highest in the lactation field. The education, training, and experience needed to obtain and maintain this designation is complex, long, and difficult. We learn more than any healthcare provider about how lactation works, how to manage it, troubleshoot problems, counsel parents, etc. Yes, I claim to know more about infant feeding than your doctor because I know that as a healthcare provider, I learned very little in my formal education on these topics. As a nurse, I was taught about breastfeeding by formula company representatives who brought us cookies or donuts to keep our attention. I challenge any MD to take a practice test for the IBCLC certification exam. I doubt they'd pass. Trust me, we learn more than, quote unquote, suggesting ways to position the baby that will decrease a mother's pain, as stated in the article. Of course, as in all professions, some of us are better at our jobs than others. Some of us bring other education, licenses, experiences, and certifications to the table. There are people who are expert at being doctors and some who are less so. Same with lactation consultants. Of course, lactation consultants make money, some more than others, some through medical insurance, some outside of it. We provide an important service to those who need us and seek us out. Our value is rewarded as it should be. There is a problem when a reputable and popular journal makes comments that may be considered slanderous, such as insinuating that we are recommending unnecessary procedures to make money. I am insulted by this as it is against all the standards that I hold for my practice. And I don't know anyone who gets kickbacks for this procedure. But let me explain what has me most upset about the slant of this article. There are almost no references to the thousands of mother-infant dyads who have, successful, have, who have had successful outcomes with proper tongue-tie assessment and treatment without complications. Of course there are sometimes poor outcomes. That's the case for all medical and dental procedures. But I have had parents in my office who cry with happiness at finally having someone talk to them honestly understand their concerns, and make sense of the symptoms they are experiencing. They express elation when they are on their way to meeting their breastfeeding goals, when their infant latches to the breast or comfortably and transfers enough milk to not have to supplement or pump. In my programs for professionals and parents, I educate the risks, benefits, and options for tongue-tie treatment. Treatment is not always surgical procedure. We make an assessment, give information, answer questions, and never promise an outcome. The assessment for tongue tie is based on function. This is not a diagnosis that should ever be made by a picture or through a social media post. As a lactation consultant, the function is feeding comfortably and efficiently, meaning able to transfer milk in a reasonable amount of time. We should never recommend a procedure on a baby whose function is currently perfect to prevent 
future issues. There isn't a way to know how that baby will do. Anticipatory guidance is given for warning signs to look out for when frenum appears tied, but there are no current problems with feeding. For bottle feeding or older feeding, the function is speech and feeding. A speech language pathologist who is a feeding therapist, preferably with oral motor training, is the best professional to evaluate the function at this stage. Meeting breastfeeding goals is a journey. Many times there are interventions by lactation consultants or other medical professionals that improve feeding or get the family set up for optimal results. A quick snip or laser treatment is not usually the answer and preparation and follow-up will improve outcomes. I am truly sorry for the infants and families in the article who had poor results. I'd love to hear their full stories so that we can all learn from the process. Did they have proper functional assessment? Were they fully prepared, evaluated for other reasons that feeding wasn't working, given analgesia, post-op, etc.? <sighs> Finally, a message for parents who are pregnant and are planning to breastfeed. Do your research before the baby comes. Meet with a lactation consultant, establish a relationship, learn how milk is made, how to optimize the first days, and when to reach out for assistance. Mostly, follow your instincts. Only you can know what's best for you and your baby. Okay, that was longer-winded than I expected. Let me see if Dr. Siegel is around. I'm in the car, so uh, bear with me here. I'm pulled yeah, over. Yeah, that's fine. I know you're very busy, and we are so appreciative of you being here. Thank you. So, um, Dr. Siegel, there, there may be people watching us who don't know who you are. So if you right. want to give a very, a very um, short explanation or introduction. and Sure. That, so that's how for those of you, you know, many know, many who don't know, um, you know, my name's Scott Siegel. My background um, is, you know, professionally, I am what we call an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. So I have both a dental and a medical um, degree, and I went to dental and medical school, trained in, in general surgery, and um, actually specialized in what we call oral and maxillofacial surgery, which is uh, surgery of the, the jaws, face, reconstructive head and neck surgery. And my journey on, you know, dealing with tongue ties and tethered oral tissue started about 23, 24 years ago. Um, with uh, one of the uh, pioneers in the field, her name was Carillos, who was uh, kind of loosely quoted as an author in that article in 2004. Mm -hmm. um, but I started back then with her. Um, she was uh, a pediatric surgeon, chief of pediatric surgery at one of the hospitals I trained at. And... Um, her and Catherine Watson Jenner, who was also quoted in the, the article, um, I kind of learned from them 20 plus years ago about tongue ties, how they affect feeding, breastfeeding. There was not much talking about speech and other issues at that point. Um, but my journey started at that point. My kids have had tongue ties. My wife breastfed. We all had to deal with these issues personally. Um, at the time um, of when I was learning, I was using lasers, uh, specifically carbon dioxide CO2 lasers for other oral surgery procedures and facial cosmetic procedures. And when Betty was um, actually 
mentoring me, she was asking me to do laser work on some of these kids with ties, especially what we're calling the posterior ones. And that started my journey. At the time, she introduced me to Dr. Kotlow and other pioneers. Um, and that was, all, you know, kind of when this all was really, really getting ramped up, um, although it's not a new procedure. Um, an awareness kind of started coming around. When I began to work in this field, I quickly realized that school didn't teach me enough about tongue tie. I wanted the opportunity to learn firsthand from an experienced professional. I had so many questions. Can you relate? Good news. I've created the professional's guide to tongue tie in the breastfeeding infant just for you. You'll get four recorded video modules, downloads to share with your patients, admission to a thriving multidisciplinary community for networking, sharing, and continued learning, and four LSERPs. All the details are on the website at tongtieexperts.net slash pro course. Use code podcast15 to save 15% off this and all of my courses. Can't wait to see you in the group. And it started my journey at that point, dealing with um, lactation consultants like yourself, putting on conferences, going to um, multidisciplinary conferences that were being put on around the world for all of us to kind of come together and learn from each other. Because we all were seeing things, but we were practicing in isolation. And we started having um, some international groups, the what we call the IATP, International Affiliation of Tongue Tie Professionals. And then we kind of spun off from that and formed ICAP, which is International Consortium of Ankylofrenular Professionals. And I was kind of in both of those um, in organizations at the ground level and really have been kind of vested in this um, journey doing research and trying to understand what best practices are and where we fit within the team. And what happens, you know, with this, we can go down your your bullet points here, but you know yeah. that that kind of led, I guess, these journalists to me because a lot of people kept saying my name, you know, uh, across the country as somebody to talk to. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you know, let me just interrupt. You were you were invite they they asked to come talk to you, and you invited them into your office, and they they spent yeah, time so, with you. And right. tell us so, a little bit about that because when I heard that. You can't, you don't know that from the article. You, it no, sounds no. like, like the, people were sneaking and giving, you know, bad reports about you. But you correct. had, you were totally upfront with them. Fully, fully transparent. transparent. We had a, a Zoom meeting with the three authors. I had a Zoom meeting for about an hour discussing kind of my history, where I was, where I am, you know, what we want to see moving forward, the concerns that we all have potentially of over-treatment or not understanding when not to cut, things like that, and coming up with parameters um, to help guide us and working as teams. Mm-hmm. And I had, I said, well, you know, we're talking about all this, but why don't you come into my office and see firsthand? Mm-hmm. Because the way this was all portrayed to me was that they weren't doing a piece that was going to be objective and fair and balanced to try to understand what is going on? You know, there seems to be an uptick in these procedures being done. We're trying to get a handle on it. And, you know, 
your name kept coming up. They interviewed Kathy Jenna, who, you know, was instrumental in that 2004 piece that talked about posterior tongue ties that was published in the American Journal of Pediatrics, um, Journal of Pediatrics, the AAP. And then um, I've done research with Kathy. So after they spoke to her, she directed them directly to me again and then opened the door. So in a matter of said, listen, you'll have, we'll have families that you can speak to. You'll be there. You get to witness how we do a consultation. You can speak to the families without me present. There's nothing to hide. We're not hiding anything. Um, And see from start to finish in the office anyway, how it works. So they were able to witness the intake there. You know, we talk about how it comes on the phone, how they come into the office. They listen, why the families are there, who sent them, which lactation consultants or feeding therapists were sending. Cause they were just interested in babies at this point, not older mm-hmm. kids or adults that we also treat. Mm-hmm. And they were actually able to witness everything from start to finish. Right. And, and they came away acting like it they, they were very, you know, we, and they, in between no, they were saying they weren't sure together. And then, um, what happened was a few days before there. a deadline, I think it was last week, last Monday, they came, they e- emailed me and said, you know, they interviewed a person that had a negative experience okay. and laid out the name and whatnot. And I said, well, you know, I'd love to comment, but I don't have permission from the patient and I can't violate right. HIPAA. Right. Um, so I said, I don't know, you know, let me look up the details and give me the name. And if they eventually the next day they got a HIPAA release. So I looked and saw what happens. Um, you know, patient was seen by a lactation consultant sent to me. They did body work beforehand, seemed to have releases, you know, that were uneventful and struggled afterwards. And this was actually February of 2020, mm-hmm. right be- right when the pandemic was starting. Okay. And when they started having real issues of maybe not progressing where we thought they should be within that time, we were basically within the early phases of the shutdown. So there was nothing you could do with them. Yeah, we couldn't see. They didn't want to come in physically to be seen. They couldn't see, you know, aftercare physically. Mm -hmm. And there were some confounding factors that way that were not, you know, elucidated within the article. Right. And the other thing was, so they had one negative person from your practice. And, I mean, they said how many thousands of babies you take care of. Right. and, And... Nobody's talking about the good outcomes. And, and that's that's you know, the whole thing. You yeah, know, and I, when I explained, I said, you know, we're certainly in medicine and surgery. You're going to have an outlier that right. we're trying to, you know, maybe not responding the way you want it to or hope or think it may. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to understand, you know, why these behave that way. And, you know, right. we're always about, first of all, do no harm and, and trying right. to understand risk versus benefit. And again, right. with all of these things, when we look at risk-benefit ratios, yeah, the procedure does, you know, carry low risk. And then there's no such thing as no risk in right. surgery. Right. So they were they were able to hear that come out of my mouth speaking to families. Right. And they said, "Well, how come you don't talk about you know major oral aversions and whatnot um, in your con you know consent?" I said, "In my verbal consent." That's not something we just automatically talk about unless there's some sort of red flag. We mm-hmm. do talk about difficulties with feeding, but we don't say oral aversion as a general thing. You know, um, 
with our consents, you know, and maybe you should right. add that um, right. or whatnot. But it's not something that we see on a routine daily basis. Right. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, right. they were and, kind of baiting you know, me a little bit. And yeah, I, one, at that point, the, I started to get the sense they, where they were headed. Yeah, I want I want to say something about oral aversions because, first of all, we've been practicing for years and evolving our practice based on what we're learning clinically and based on re research, even though the research depending on how you look at it, is there a research base or not? It's a growing research base, but we must, we must use clinical experience as evidence because that's how medicine evolves. We don't, we don't have the research. We can't, we can't have research before we're practicing because then what would we be keeping track of? Correct. So, correct. so we learn by our clinical practices and we've evolved our clinical practices and from in the beginning, when I was first involved in assessing tongue tie and referring for treatment, there were some babies that did have some mild oral aversion. I never had a baby that wound up not being able to feed at all, but I used to have every once in a while a kid that had a couple of rough days. I haven't had that in years because of how we know now to properly prepare the family. I mean, this is what I preach in my in my courses to parents and professionals and anybody who wants to listen to my podcast will hear me say this over and over. This is not a quick fix. Nobody claims it to be a quick fix. If we prepare the family, if we prepared with what we're going to do afterwards, if the baby is already feeding, if we have alternative feeding methods, just in case, if we're ready with analgesia, the chance of oral aversion when done properly is almost zero. Right. And I stand behind that because that's what I see in my practice. You know, so um, if yes, I feel terrible about these kids who have bad outcomes. But let's not scare parents who want to look for help and don't know where to turn. And now they think by reading this article that we're just out to make money and we're, we're cutting baby's tongues, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because you don't cut a baby's tongue. Um, you're cutting the frenum, which is another story. I'm getting a little heated. I'm getting a little excited about this. But um, one of the things that upset me was I keep going to the comments, which maybe I shouldn't. And there are people who have had great results who are second guessing what they did to their babies instead of the reverse of thinking what they did for their babies, you know? So, um, that's what I want. You know, I mainly want to empower parents to realize that not to look at an article that's obviously clickbait, one-sided, um, whatever BS literally to get people to scare people. I mean, Let's let's not scare mothers any more than they're already scared. Right? Exactly. You know, and breastfeeding is hard enough. I don't know if you read any of the comments, Doctor Siegel. I, I I started to, and then I got you know yeah. actually honestly yeah. just a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And had to, to turn it off. Yeah, to, but what was upsetting positive. was how fast um, breastfeeding was dismissed as something that wasn't important. A hundred percent. When I saw yeah. that and it, and yeah. actually coming from actually physicians and whatnot that I saw, yeah. you know, I was like uh, appalled. 
Yeah. Said, well, they're just clearly not understanding. These are people that will never understand it, and you're not going mm-hmm. to get through to them to begin with. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's you know you have to look at this and turn it into a positive. And yeah. Use the platform to educate. Yeah. And still realize that you're going to have a, a subset of people who are just you know not going to trust or believe no matter what right. we do. Right. Um, somebody asked, how did they present the purpose of the article to you? I'm so upset for you. That's playful heart pediatric OT wants to know. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, I think I said as earlier, um, they, they portrayed this as going to be just a, like a, a, an objective balanced piece on tongue ties, you know, understanding what's going on. How do we diagnose? How do we treat research? Um, you know, parameters of care and trying to understand what's going on nationwide or worldwide with this. Mm-hmm. And so, that's how it was portrayed to me. Right. Um, other comments are that a couple of people are saying that they don't see oral aversions. And somebody said, um, what about the oral aversions caused by actions in the hospital at birth, the suctioning, et cetera, which, yeah, I mean, from my years in the hospital, I know that. Um, other people talking about the assessment and, has to be done correctly. We're getting lots of thank yous. Um, lots of comments about how incredible you are, Dr. Siegel, and how much people love um, sending their patients to you. Um, no matters. Dr. G says we, we stand by Dr. Siegel through and through. Um, and, and yeah, about how function is the is what we should be talking about. And none of that was um right none of that was addressed and um low Ni- uh low nigrish from the podcast says i would love to hear how the author recommends we help babies with less than ideal oral motor function <laughs> me too i'd love to talk to uh, you know there they it was just i don't even know what to say because yeah. it was uh when Every one of those aspects that you bring up was discussed in right. detail, not right. only by me, but, um, you know, I know they spoke to Dr. Zaghi for about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And we all pointed them to research and experience and what thing, where things are going on. They included nothing, mm-hmm. you know, as you see, as you can read. Mm-hmm. And they, they, you know, twisted things around and it just sensationalized it. And. You know, I did have a family in just right before leaving the office who I've treated before. And the dad was like, I don't want to, you know, seem insulting, but I wanted to ask you about the, this, that article that came out mm-hmm. yesterday. Say, like, listen, I've ask away, you know, right. let me tell you where that's coming from and what happened. And, you know, just be very upfront and honest because people are going to ask those questions. Right. And there's, there's nothing to hide, but we're here to educate and help. And, you know, right. certainly after I saw that yesterday, yeah, my heart dropped, my stomach dropped, yeah. and I was, you know, feeling very, uh, I don't know, just ready to, you know, in yeah. tears. Yeah, uh, I don't blame you. I mean, my heart broke for you. I've been in that position a little less um, dramatically uh, quite a few years ago. I was interviewed for a New York Post article, and my, um, by a friend of mine who also wrote for the Post, and she was a La Leche leader, and we were talking about the Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative, and she took one of my quotes out of context and made me, I got, I got 
national attention for saying that we were going to lock up the formula. And it was, that was like one little thing that I said, and it was totally blown up. And I just felt so violated, you know, so I totally understand that feeling. And, and it, it, it was like PTSD for me and knowing you and having you as a colleague and a friend, that's the purpose of, you know, why I said, let me reach out and see what I can do for full disclosure. I did, you know, I have reached out to Melanie Henstrom, who was the IBCLC in the article. Um, Melanie is crafting a way to respond. Um, I don't want to say too much about that, but I just want everybody to know that of course I'm reaching out to the fellow IBCLC because my heart breaks for her as well. Um, yeah, I, I reached out to her as well Yeah, because, because the whole aspect of how they portrayed the IBCLC, you know, profession mm-hmm. and therapy profession, is just abominable. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it just, the, the rage that we feel when we see that is mm-hmm. just, um, it, it leaves you speechless. Yeah. And you want to be able to try to get ahead of that and try to yeah. continue to educate. Yeah. And after the initial, you know, anger, some of us had a lot of good, you know, we were trying to make light of it. You know, people are posting and, and sharing, sharing um, messages back and forth about, you know, we, we want to know when, when we get in the kickback checks, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, right. Like, where are they? That would be fun. You know, it's, you right. know all the money we're making for, from, and, and it's funny because I said when they interviewed me, I said, you know, there are people out there saying that, you know, there's kickbacks going on and all of these things that just not true. But that's mm-hmm. what they put in there. Right. I said, so you know, sad. it's not only unethical, but we can lose our licenses and all of the hard work that we do. Right. Flush down the toilet. Right. And maybe there are people doing that, but not anybody that I know of. specifically. Right. You know, right. And and yeah, and some of the comments, there's so many comments, I can't read them all. Thank you, everybody, for being here and commenting. But so many people are just saying that they hope that you feel the love and they're thanking us for doing this and realize how, how much well, respect everybody has for you, you know. That's, that's, you know, between, I think, you know, Melanie had an outpouring of support. I mean, the outpouring of support that I had from the get-go worldwide from colleagues mm-hmm. and patients and families. Mm-hmm. And family sending me videos of how wow. I helped change their lives. And, you know, they're so disgusted to see that. And many of them are planning to write their own op-eds to, Excellent. You know, Excellent. to that, you know, That's so. Neat. I hope they'll, I hope they'll print all of our, right. our letters. Like, likelihood is not because yeah. I know even with the comments yesterday, there were people reaching out to me. It's like, I, I'm trying to comment something positive, but they're not letting me and it's not wow. going through. And wow. it would say be the comment is under review, and it and, and the hard through. the hard thing is that you have to subscribe even to challenge yeah. the article. Exactly. So they're going to make money from right. them. From right. us being upset, they're making money. That's how media works right now. That's crazy. It crazy. Really it's um, sickening. Yeah. So, you know, just getting back to the the anger about the bottles, you know, just bottle feeding does not honor moms. Right. And they're claiming to be like, let's protect the mothers. And it's, you know, it shouldn't be, the mothers shouldn't be doing this to hurt their babies so that they're comfortable. Like what, like, where do they even get this from? You know? So it's, it's just really, really upsetting. 
again, it's, it's, you know, it's about education and it's, you know, and again, not everybody can breastfeed, but right. they still can struggle with bottle feeding. It exactly. It there was nothing about bottle feeding. feeding this article. No. Right. And those who follow me know, I often talk about my grandson and how he could not take a bottle and he, he struggled to breastfeed, but my daughter, and she doesn't mind me saying this, my daughter had a very copious supply, so he was able to nurse, but he wasn't able to, he had barely any suction. His tongue was, just didn't work right, and his palate was awful. So in the beginning, he could not even suck on my finger. He could not suck on a pacifier. He could not suck on a bottle. If my daughter didn't breastfeed, he would have been a two baby, right? So we did the process. Yes, he had release, but we did the process, and he's... He's good, right? He's good. And he learned to suck and he learned to take a bottle and he learned to do all the things he needs to do. Mention bottle feeding when you're talking about tongue tie, New York Times, because there are many. And we have our friend and colleague, Nancy Calamusa, right, is doing work with babies who never had treatment, right, and are disabled and two children. And she's getting them released and getting them therapy and now they're she's going she goes all over the globe right now she's in london right feeding mm -hmm. babies yep. um and if those kids were released as, as babies they wouldn't have this hard journey and and on and on and on and on so yeah. no we don't think that every baby should be released i mean most of what i teach i teach the opposite of what you would think and i always say this like i don't Yes, it's called tongue tie experts. But the reason I, I'm teaching is to make sure that everyone understands that it shouldn't be a quick diagnosis. It shouldn't be a picture diagnosis. It should be a complete functional assessment. And I have recently podcast episodes. I was like, wow, this, this week's podcast episode is five ways that um, tongue tie treatment can go wrong. Five points to consider about tongue tie release before you have it. Um, research. I have a whole episode with Kathy, Kathy Watson, Jenna discussing the research that she's done in your office. Um, and for phrenotomy with the least trauma for parents, like all, we have an answer to every point that they made and nobody's going to see it from there. And it's so, so, so annoying. I mean, anybody who hasn't listened to my podcast, if you need some reassurance, if you're a new provider, the Tantai Express podcast is on every, you know, it's on Apple, it's on Google, it's on Spotify. Um, talking about the team approach, because this isn't just about, you know, Dr. Siegel, I've heard you say this many times. What you do is the easy part, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you do the easy part. It takes it, what? You know, they're yeah, in and, your and, office it, for an hour. Right. We're working with them for weeks, sometimes 100%. months. 100%. Yep. You know? But no, all we do is make sure that the, the, you know, we just bully women. We bully everybody into breastfeeding. <laughs> well, you know, it's the, the other thing that needed clarification from that article is they kind of, they kind of portrayed one of the cases as being done just for prevention. Right. And it's right. certainly not the case. Right. If, it, if a child is coming in with symptoms and a functional issue going on, we always talk about risk benefit you know, treatment versus non-treatment, long-term potentials, not saying that every child that has a tie is going to develop these issues. Right. But 
when you sit and listen to a consult, we talk about those potential long-term things. And if your child is already having some sort of functional problem now, odds are stacked against them that they may have some sort of other functional issue moving forward. Right. And there's research to validate some of those things, including the sleep apnea issues. The research that came out of Stanford with Dr. Gimeno, and there's some groundbreaking landmark papers looking at short lingual frenulums and tongue posture and tongue position and how it affects oral facial and airway growth and development. And we discuss those. Um, So those are things, but, you know, again, when you're talking about a a sensationalist sort of piece, it's going to leave everything out that we educated them on. Right. Right. Because they had their agenda and um, yeah, no matter what you do. And, and yeah, let's, let's talk. I mean, you know, I, this was about babies and I work mainly with babies, but the both of us are involved in a project, the airway revolution foundation, which everybody should check out the airway revolution foundation, um, which we're both on the board with that project and involved very much with that project, which it's not just about tongue tie, but tongue tie is involved, you know? So um, to me, the insult is, it's reverberating, you know, across all of the work we do and all of the professionals, all of the high level doctors, surgeons, orthodontists, body workers, for lack of a better term, um, and lactation professionals, SLPs, all myofunctional therapists, we're all trying the best we can. Not, of, of course we want to make money. I mean, who could live without making money, right? But, but, but that's the, the other, it's not, you're not doing this to be money hungry. Or whatnot, no. But, and like when they asked about fees and this and that and how many babies you treat, it's like, you know, it was very open and honest with them. It's like, right. but, you know, and, and I said, I have two offices and a pretty large staff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what you think maybe my income is not, and it's not even, you shouldn't even be thinking like that. But right. that was the tilt of the article. Right, and, right. You know. Yeah, and, and I wanted, I almost, you know, my response is thinking about you can add, you could plug in any type of doctor that is specialized in a field with the, um, what was the, the term used? I don't know if it was in the article or in one of the comments about like the factory model, right? So like, um, I mean, for example, I had to have a thyroid biopsy one day and, you know, a few years ago. And the, the ENT that I went to, I felt like I was part of a, a factory. It was like, you do this, you do that, you're waiting online, you go in, you come out. It was like, like do they get mm-hmm. in trouble? Are they making money? Are we, are we saying, well, they should make money? but we shouldn't make money. You you shouldn't be compensated for the the work you do. You know, um, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. One of the things they also alluded to is like, oh, it's a five minute thing. And that's it. You know, it's not, well, they actually spent, you know, multiple hours in my office with each family. Right. Um, You know, either bottle or breastfeeding. And one of my staff, Marielle, who's been with me for a very long time, went through the CLC and then became an IBCLC so she can help families feed mm-hmm. right afterwards. And she's amazing. Breast. She's so pissed. And so they're able to witness that and how long they're in my office for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like, uh, you know, 
may have the feeling of an efficiency, you know, going right. on because we're efficient. We have an efficient model right. of, you know, practice and business, but it, it's not a factory. No, um, as it should be efficient and smooth right. and comfortable. And, and, you know, I mean, I full disclosure, obviously, I refer a lot of patients to you. But I also now, because there's more people learning, I have a list of doctors that I refer to, list of dentists. And after every family comes back, I always ask, what was your experience? Do you re would you recommend that office to someone else? And no one has ever said anything but, oh, Dr. Siegel was amazing. We felt so comfortable there. These are the things, these are the responses that I get. It was, he, they made it easy. They made it comfortable. They made us relaxed. Yes, it was hard to do the procedure because, you know, I, you know, it was hard, but they made it as easy as possible. So I don't know. And I'm sure get, being in your office, they experienced that as well, which is crazy. Listen, you know? we, we, they did. And they were yeah. very, you know, they seemed excited about it. And uh -huh. so, and that's where I, you know, was lulled again and being naive. Um, right. Unfortunately, that's. You're, you're a victim lessons. of being too nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, and again, it's like, you're not going to make everybody happy and every outcome is not going to be what you're expecting. But if you do your best with the best intentions and first of all, do no harm and try to understand when not to be cutting um, and right. make sure you have a team in place. And right. I'm not that leader of the team, you know, where you are or, you know, my therapy compadres and colleagues are the uh -huh. quarterbacks. And, uh -huh. you know, it's really trying to drive that home so they understood that didn't work. And, right. And, and what they did to the, you know, poor Melanie and the outright slanderous yeah. things. Yeah, horrible. Horrible. It horrible. Is. So, um, Dr. So there's, there's, Dr. Vitrick is here saying thank you, Dr. Siegel, for all you do saving lives. Um, Lifelinks Lactation wants to know if the New York Times ever wrote, wrote an article about reflux medicine being overprescribed. That's, that's a good point. Um, everybody's saying how much they love Mariel. You can tell her that if she's not listening. <laughs> uh, Patricia uh, Berg was told years ago that she shouldn't get paid as an IBCLC. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You know, and the, the question comes up is that, well, how come you're not taking insurances? You should be taking insurances. Right. Like, well, I wouldn't be able to keep my business open just right. focusing on this if I did that, right. unfortunately. Right. And I said, well, maybe you should, you know, write to other people about fixing our healthcare system because right. of that. Right. Um, Mrs. Foley said, I was gaslighted by three providers before seeing Dr. Siegel. Thank you for making me feel like I wasn't an insane mother. Um, oh, and Lifelinks Lactation, she's actually Sarah. She was interviewed on my podcast. If anybody wants to hear a heartbreaking story with a happy ending, that Sarah's story is on my podcast. Um, thank you for being here, Sarah. And she she shared her whole journey with me. She knew something was wrong and she was ignored and gaslit and nobody was listening to her and her baby was failure to thrive. And it turned out it was a tongue tie. And once she got somebody to release it, things got better. Yeah. So, and um, Melanie is here. You so know, grateful for you both. Yes. Melanie, we are with you. You know that we are with you. 
hundred percent. I'll, I'll yeah. speak to her later. The the yeah. one of the issues that came up in one of we had a, a you know professional meeting last night, and one yeah. of the docs, who's a, a very well known sleep airway doc, who really said you know brought it to light. It's like we don't want to dismiss the people's voices that right. are having problems, and the ones that were highlighted last you know in this yesterday's article, those are important voices to hear. But there are other voices as well, and it's our, you know, chance to try to educate here and, and use the, the negative that has come out and try to spin this into a positive platform, mm-hmm. you know. And, but, you know, hopefully bring it to the, the attention of the New York Times. You know, our, our dear friend and colleague, Robin Walsh, I don't know how she does this. Right. Rich Baxter <laughs> said she's, like, better than chat GPT. She just came up with this. <laughs> Yeah. Amazing letter to the editor, which yeah. was so eloquently worded, concise and clear, um, mm-hmm. and hit every point that I'm hoping mm-hmm. that it is published because it can bring to the light of the authors that, you know, there's they did wrong. Yes. Um, yeah. And, they, and they yes, let, let's talk a little bit about because I was also had a couple of people say to me, well, you know, Lisa, no, not everybody does things the way you do. There are people who aren't doing this the right way. And that's yeah. absolutely true. And that's why we teach, right? That's why we come on pro platforms. That's why we have conferences. That's why we both speak at conferences, why we you, you do so much supportive education work. You've put on your own conferences to get people to realize that this is um something that can be done wrong and for the wrong reasons and without the right support and it's very important like i had somebody last week ask me if i think this is overdiagnosed or underdiagnosed and my answer is both you know i think it's i think it's missed but then it's it's the quick diagnosis sometimes that it shouldn't be without a functional assessment. So it's both. Right. We do we have so much work to do, so right. much work to do. Um, but we will do it because the families need us to. Yeah. yeah, and and that's what I also said to them, and I put it in writing. I said this is a you know we're in a specialty right now that's evolving, right. um, and we're learning you know daily. There's you know research coming out almost daily or weekly there's conferences that are held and when they asked me about this case that i treated three years ago i said you know it's it's i don't know you know it could be treated differently at this point mm-hmm. they kind of put it in there as quotes too yeah, um, yeah. you know to try to you know steer it in the, in the direction that they were looking for right which wasn't fair wasn't fair yeah. even i could even tell i mean i'm just guessing but i've heard kathy Jenna speak enough to know that her quote wasn't, they didn't include the whole paragraph of what she usually says about what she was saying. You know, I'm like, no, she usually says that. And then she says this and they cut off the, this, and they just said that, you know, so. So Uh, the cherry, the cherry picking aspect was pretty obvious. And and for people that are gonna, you know, understand how to, you know, look at an article and say, well, yeah, it's obviously it's a, biased hit piece but other people will take it you know seriously yeah especially i mean people are looking for something to fulfill their agenda you know yeah. so oh look they were right There's so many people thanking them for pulling yes, this out yeah. for putting yeah. this out there and saying the things that they've been thinking yeah. 
uh, validated their, you know, their yeah. feelings and their beliefs. Yeah. And again, you know, it's um, like, you know, Rajiv Agarwal, who is a very well-known pediatrician who treats these and says, this is not mm -hmm. a religion. It's not a belief system. Right. It's, right. it's anatomy and function. And it's, right. you know, it's something that we need to educate on. We understand where pediatricians are coming from. We understand where families that are fearful or vulnerable are coming from. And we do want to make sure they're not feeling taken advantage of. Um, and that's that was a goal of trying to disseminate education with this article, which I was, you know, naive in thinking that was yeah. going to be something that would help. But yeah, well, again, in, in the end, it will. Right. Yeah. And it will it will help because look at the conversations that are happening today. I mean, I think I was when I say how angry I was, my family was worried about me yesterday. <laughs> I was really I was really angry. And then I said, let me just step back and see what we can do to turn this into a positive and to, you know, have more exposure about the way that things are actually being done and the way that people can learn more and how we can do that. So Dr. Siegel, thank you so much for joining us today. It's, I uh, totally appreciate it. And, um, you're, you're you an know, amazing you force for, in the field here. You know, oh, thank uh, you. Like, Doing my best. And thank you to everyone who has joined yeah. tonight, who is listening to re this recorded. If you're listening recorded and you want to, you know, reach out with questions, we're here. And, um, Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for sharing. You know, so many people heard about that we'd be doing this tonight because of so many kind people who shared it all over social. So um, thank you. Everybody have a great evening. Get home or wherever you're in the car to get there safely and have a happy holiday. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Check out the show notes for useful links about the topics we discussed and for ways to follow us on social media. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.